You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz. And full disclosure, we've tried to do this about four different times, and we just had trouble getting through the first few minutes here. We've had some laughs, but... This is definitely going to be the final take and the one you're all going to hear out there. All right, Sean, confidence in us. Number four, Penn State has plenty of it. They are playing the Indiana Hoosiers in Beaver Stadium. It's going to be a 7.30 kickoff, a stripe out, that night atmosphere. And if you're Penn State, forget about what happened in that first month. Everything's ahead of you. You're the number four team in the country. You've got no losses, and you've got eight consecutive Big Ten matchups, starting with the team that you have no desire to get revenge against, but should be motivated to play. I mean, the the one to know every week just comes into play uh, even more so when you're undefeated because this is you, everybody's going to still have doubts. I mean, you beat a Wisconsin team that uh, you know hasn't scored any points since you, since you played them. Didn't score any play, points when you did play them. You beat an Auburn team that had struggles last week after uh, after losing on the road to Penn State. So I think that, that's just the nature of college football these days. Outside of Alabama, outside of well, even Clemson is is, is on the on the ropes right now. There's no, I guess we'll just say outside of Alabama, nobody has questions or everybody has questions about every team. And that's, that's fine. Yeah. I, I have questions about this Penn state team as well. Um, but this weekend, I think they, they match up pretty well with an Indiana squad that uh, they're, they're not seeking revenge on, but they'd really like to win the game this year that they did not win last year. I guess we'll frame it like that. We were out of practice on Wednesday night, uh, outdoors for the first time in a long time. No rain on a Wednesday, which was, uh, I think, mid-August since the, the last time that happened. It was wonderful. Just getting outside on the practice field, spaced out, coaches yelling, maybe had a little bit of that edge that James Franklin was seeking in the in the Tuesday press conference. So um, it looked uh, looked like they, they kicked it up a notch. You know, last week against Villanova probably could be forgiven if they – took the foot off the gas throughout the week and, and, and took care of themselves a little bit more um, prepared a little bit less. And maybe that showed on the, on the field on Saturday. Maybe it didn't, it's hard to say, um, but uh, you're back into it this week with a big game and uh, you've got Iowa looming large next weekend. But, uh, but I guess the news of the day would, would kind of be the, the, the roster movement. We were told last night on about uh, last night by James Franklin that Hakeem Beeman defensive tackle would not be available for Penn State this year. Of course, he has not played. Um, he's been at the home games. He hasn't dressed, um, but he's been at the home games, has not traveled, obviously, um, but he's not going to be there. Um, you know, he's practicing. He's been in the scout team uh, the last couple of weeks, been in the scout team jersey, obviously not uh, a medical thing. Um, so refrain from speculating and all that, but they're not going to have him this year. And that's going to hurt because he was a guy they were really counting on going back a couple of months. This was one that hadn't really been addressed in a media session in a couple of weeks. And uh, Mark Brennan, uh, our colleague, you know, framed it very well. And, and Franklin, I, I guess there was finality here, maybe that didn't exist a couple of weeks, where where it was a conclusion that Beeman was not going to be joining them the rest of the way, regardless of what happened, because he was hesitant to go too far down that path when we were talking about Beeman and Keaton Ellis, and John Lovett in early September. We saw Lovett and Ellis reemerge and play in week three, and then again in week four. And Beeman's been around, but you think maybe you're through a third of the season, now you're into Big Ten play. This is kind of sort of when you see guys get back on the field from early season absences and different campuses every single year. When we saw him in the scout team uniform 
on Wednesday, that was a concerning. And then when James Franklin gave us the answer, that was the answer for, for everybody. And, and I had already written this up about the, the need for depth, but it just gets reinforced on the defensive line. Beeman is not going to be part of the equation. And when we look back at the conversations you and I were having on this podcast in the spring and going into the summer, Adiza Isaac and, and Hakeem Beeman were two of the first six, seven, eight names of defensive players that we listed in terms of guys who were going to be pivotal for, for them to have success. And it turns out neither is going to play a snap for 2021 Nittany Lions. You, you talk about the talent that Penn State has up front and you think about Mustafer and you think about those defensive ends. They had a Beeman right up there. I mean, they they, they thought Beeman could eventually be an all Big Ten guy and and really on the interior, by the way. This is I know he lost the weight and everything like that, but they've always been counting on him as a defensive tackle, even though we speculated maybe he slides out to the five tech and plays against a run game like Wisconsin, which could have used him there, could have used him a lot of places. He's still got Michigan on the schedule, still have Iowa on the schedule, uh, Ohio State, of course. So um, but uh, but getting past all of that was a guy that they were probably going to lean on at some point. Now you, you got lucky with Derek Tangelo and the fact that you you've cultivated a solid starter from the portal. PJ Mustafer has been playing well, getting a little bit into that rotation where you've got Devon Ellis playing a lot of snaps. You've got Fred Hansard, who's always kind of there, but hasn't played as many snaps because I Izzard Faturma Malba. That's your three deep right now. And, 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 you know, you feel okay about it, but a lot of frontline snaps and it would probably be less with uh with Hakeem Beeman, Isaac on the outside, they, they had a little bit more time to prepare for what they were going to do. Of course, be interesting to see where that move of Jesse Lucetta would be had Isaac been available. Would have also been interesting to see what Evacati's role and Tarburton's role would have been had had Isaac been out there. Isaac's been at practice. He's been uh, he was at practice again on Wednesday night. He hasn't been practicing. I guess there's. I, I, kind of put that on the board this morning and I, fr- I forgot to mention that he was at practice but he's, he hasn't done anything for for weeks or I guess months now you could say um, so that's uh, that's kind of a, a tough way to go about it um, but uh, they, they like what they've gotten out of both of those groups so far could be deeper could be a, a little bit more productive on the inside but uh, so far you're not missing those guys as much as you probably should and that's a good sign for a 4-0 football team. And this was um, a topic I addressed this week with PJ Mustafer, with Jesse Lucetta, um, ultimately with Brent Pry uh, on a call that we had here on Thursday morning is this is not sustainable, Sean. Uh, what we saw in, in the two victories over power five opponents that Penn State has had, Auburn and Wisconsin, um, they leaned so heavily on six guys, the, the two starters at defensive tackle, PJ Mustafer and Derek Tangelo. Devon Ellis, who's the, the former teammate of P.J. Mustafer at the McDonough School, he's getting a lot of run now in year three. Um, and then at defensive end, it's Arnold Evacati, who's impressive. He showed up from Temple. And then across from him, Jesse Lucetta and Nick Tarburton have been kind of swapping that starter role. And in fact, on the Beaver Stadium loudspeaker, if you're listening closely, you can hear both of them introduce the starters before these games. So beyond those guys, though, those are six names. Beyond those guys, Sean, you know, there's not a lot of reps being distributed in games that are close and games that you go down to the wire with no other defensive lineman reached 20 snaps in week one. That was a game that you had almost 100 total defensive plays. And then against Auburn, how about this? No other defensive lineman out of those six guys I just named notched even five total snaps against Auburn. You're not going to be able to do that eight weeks in a row. You got four ranked opponents. There might be more ranked opponents when you see how things shape up for a couple other teams on their schedule You've got to cultivate depth, and there's a few names that popped up during these conversations. Inside, it's Koziah Izzard, 
Um, it's also um, uh, it's it's also Fatoma Moba, who's already been noted for his strength. You've got a mean Vanover getting some love from PJ Must for a guy who's maybe uh, has some versatility that we discussed with Beeman. And then on the outside, it's two very different athletes. Smith Vilbert, who's six foot six, two hundred and seventy plus pounds, has this long wingspan. And then you've got Zariah Fisher, who's made that transition from linebacker. He lost a lot of weight last year. Wanted to try to play at the second level defensively. And then Jesse Lucetta kind of says he's following in my footsteps. One of those two guys, Brent Pry, really seemed to indicate needs to claim that fourth defensive end job and run with it. Um, and, and that's without factoring any future injuries. It's been a great performance, but what we saw in September is not going to be sustainable defensive line rotation October, November. John Scott knows that. Brent Pry knows that. And they've been able to get the guys reps over these last couple of weeks, and you hope that helps them. Yeah, you hope that helps them. You hope you can continue to do that because if you look at Penn State's schedule, not a, not really a ton of letdown in terms of you're 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 playing a big time game. Then you've got Villanova. This looked like a better game on paper to begin the season, considering what Indiana did last year. So this is probably the bigger lull. But you've got Iowa next week. You got the bye. You got Illinois, which is a is an important two week stretch where you can get those guys or you can get everybody healthy. You can should beat Illinois. I mean, I don't want to look too far ahead. Then you go to Ohio State. Maryland's better than we thought they'd be. Michigan's better than they thought we would be, uh, or they would be. Uh, Rutgers better than they thought everybody thought would be. And then Michigan State's the same way too. So not really a ton of letdown. Penn State should be favored in pretty much all of these games except Ohio State, Iowa. You could you could say a bunch of things, but uh, yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how they go about getting guys experience and necessary experience. So I think that that's. Uh, a tough way to go about it, but if you got, if you want depth in there, if you want to be ready for that that run at the end of the season, you got to be you got to be up for it now. Also, a little surprise. I mean, Vanover not mentioned in there. He's been um, a guy that's been sort of we we talked about in that similar role to Beeman, a big guy who's eventually going to be a defensive tackle, but playing defensive end right now can be a big guy against the run and things uh, things of that nature. So PJ interesting. PJ mentioned him, Sean. We didn't hear about him from Pry though. When I because I, I I phrased it to Pry, you've got AK, you've got Lucetta, you've got Tarburton. How are they doing? And who needs to step up behind them? He went to he went to Vilbert. He went to Fisher. Lucetta mentioned both those guys too. Uh, we saw Vanover briefly, I think may have been just one snap, playing inside in a three-man front, but he has been referenced as now being more so a full-time perimeter defensive lineman. Yeah, that's just the number, the, the way that the numbers have shaken out for them. So it'll be uh, interesting to see how far Zariah Fisher is compared to Amin Vanover. I mean, I'm, we're talking far down the roster here, um, but those guys are, are competing for that fourth job, Vilbert in there as well. So um, yeah, you'd love to have your guys healthy, but I think – 4-0 football team that they've held up pretty well up front and 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 stayed pretty healthy. So uh, other than those guys, uh, other than Adisa Isaac, so I mean you you're feeling good about where you stand, but you like to you like to know a little bit more about that group uh, entering October. We have clarity on Beeman. We now know Keaton Ellis uh, is is going to get his opportunities here at safety coming along, projecting now as as a second team safety moving forward. I got a chance to speak with him briefly this week, Sean and. Uh, you know, kind of under the radar while, while Villanova was was scoring some points on, on Penn State late and people were getting frustrated about the ground game, we did see Keaton Ellis get his initial reps at safety. Um, I believe he was strictly special teams in that matchup against Auburn. Um, moving forward is a guy I remain very intrigued by. I thought he flashed a lot his true freshman year. 
Last year, he wasn't always available for this program. We don't know why he missed the first two games of, of September. And uh, clearly that's going to set him back a bit from a developmental standpoint and getting those snaps at safety. But coming out of the conversation with him on Wednesday, um, you know, remains, you know, curious about how he can impact this team starting this Saturday. Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of questions back there. Um, as we saw last night of practice, no Tyler Rudolph. So a lot of Jonathan Sutherland and Keaton Ellis back there. And Ellis needs those reps. I, I agree with you. Um, you like what you've seen from a physical standpoint, but it, it's all about understanding how the play works from from that vantage point. And he hasn't seen a ton of it uh, in live action. So going to be an important player for Penn State as the season continues. I think he's kind of turning that corner from uh, a guy that uh, is, is making that position change and trying to figure out that position to a guy that you can maybe count on. I, I still expect a lot of reps for Brisker and Brown and, and to a lesser degree Sutherland, but uh, Ellis is a guy that you're going to need to be um, healthy and you're going to need to know what he's doing um, coming up for that, that, that big stretch. Someone else we had a chance to speak with this week, Sean, is Tyler Warren. And um, it's, I think this was probably the most exposure he has had. Um, you know, you, you caught up with him before he enrolled a couple of years ago. He didn't do many recruiting interviews, and that was after he had already signed. Um, so th it was a chance to, to get to know him a little bit. He called his package a fancy-looking thing. Um, he also said, uh, let me rephrase that. He called the package in which he plays quarterback a fancy looking thing. Uh, it did result in a couple short yardage touchdown runs in the last couple of weeks. And I, I, you know, when we're talking about a six foot five, six foot six, 255 pound tight end, who's playing a goal line back for you and Clifford's praising him for the work he's put in. And Franklin's talking about opening up new opportunities for himself. I mean, this is a wrinkle on the offense that I didn't think we'd be discussing at this kind of uh, at this kind of realistic nature, I guess, coming out of September. But when you see them back to back weeks and everyone says, look out, there's more coming, I'm starting to buy into it. Yeah. And I'm glad we're on video now so we could see all see the reaction to your misstep there. Um, yes. Here, here's the thing about Tyler Warren. Penn State doesn't need to play three tight ends. Like that, I'm, I'm saying that they've got two really good ones in Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson. So if you came into this season and, and like we thought Tyler Warren would be relegated to the mop up duty or whatever, then that's perfectly fine. But they think he's really good. They think he's, he can play now and he can provide something for this team. So you don't have to play three tight ends, but you are playing three tight ends. That says something to me about what they think about Tyler Warren, how versatile he can, uh, how can he can be. Um, we've mentioned watch out for him throwing at some point. I would love to be right on that one. Um, but uh, he just provides something a little bit different and he provides something good at tight end too. It's not like he's coming into the game and, you know, some of those guys are just, you know, wildcat options where you, you know, that they're going to run it, and, but he can go out, he could start up in the backfield. Clifford could be split wide. They could just set into motion and put Clifford back at quarterback and put Tyler Warren at tight end. And there'd be no drop off. So I'm um, really impressed with what he's been able to do so far. And, and for him to get uh, onto the field behind, behind those other two guys. Now, Franklin did specify he's the third guy and he is behind those other two guys, but for him to be where he's at is, is pretty remarkable. And he also, Franklin also said some good things about Khalil Dinkins. So that, that room, um, started a little bit slow this year, but has, has really come on and done some nice things. And I think they're going to continue to get better and continue to play all three of those guys, because they're not only your, your one, two, three tight ends, but your third and fourth and fifth receivers. And if this team runs the ball better against Indiana and, and against the Big Ten opponents that are upcoming, these tight ends are going to be a very necessary component of that progress. I mean, it's been publicly stated a couple times now about the emphasis on them 
along with the offensive line and along with the running backs. James Franklin said, you're not always going to have huge holes to be able to hit at running back. You have to be able to maximize your opportunities. feels like they can do a better job at that position. There's really no one blameless in, in why the, the ground game has sputtered here through the first month. And, and obviously Sean Clifford's performance and what you're getting from the passing game and the defense really makes, you know, m makes that seem more like a blemish than a huge, huge uh, cloud hanging over the program, but it's got to get it, better. It's got to get better. It's tough when you there's a problem on offense and you just can't blame it all on Clifford, right? We gotta, right, right, we gotta right, work right. around that now. Yeah. So I mean, look, I think that and that was something that else that Warren said. The message was received loud and clear on Sunday, on Tuesday. Uh, Sean Clifford said the same thing. A, a lot of criticism and psychologically, psychologically, it's a lot easier to receive criticism and internally digest it when things are going well than when someone brings it up and it feels like they're kicking you while you're down. You're 4-0, you're coming off a 21-point win, and you're getting that criticism. It's a little bit easier to say, okay, all right, I, I get it. We can move forward. So if that team did that today or did that and they did get the kind of you know, kick in the ass from, from a Villanova game that I think Franklin wanted it to be, it's a huge boost for this program to be able to get that while not suffering a loss or really even coming close to a loss at all. And I think that speaks well, and we'll segue here to the next thing, to the culture, uh, you know, the, the Penn State's – Going with a shorter, shorter term memory, I think some of the uh, the coaching changes have helped um, sort of cut that head off from last year. That 2020 uh, thing that was looming large over them. Uh, you bring in a new offensive coordinator, and and you try and forget all that stuff. And and really, what we said in the offseason, and and I think part of this was surprising in that there's always attrition in the offseason. Guys always transfer out. We kept waiting and waiting and waiting for guys that were fourth, fifth on the depth chart to to hit the portal and see what's happening and didn't happen. In fact, we thought, you know, they might be in trouble with scholarship numbers because of the guy, the, the number of guys that stuck around that speaks to the culture that speaks to what they've done. And, and they've done a nice job turning the corner um, from, I believe what, what Clifford said, a culture slip. And uh, you know, other players have, have pointed to that, um, you know, over the last year in terms of what's different this year than last year, obviously we, we've talked about it here in the podcast. There's a few guys on, not on the team anymore that, uh, you know, addition by subtraction is the is the easy crutch to fall on but uh you know it seems like they've done a nice job of of resettling themselves and figuring out what they are as a team and sean it, it, we predicted this coming out of the post game and against villanova it was a it's been a week of one and o's and one elevens and do your job and we're not focused on last year's indiana we're focused on this year's indiana all that stuff and we expected it but there was a candid aspect to what sean clifford told us on wednesday afternoon peeled back the curtain a little bit about last year. He said, quote, he felt like the culture, sorry, that's not a quote, quote, felt like our culture kind of slipped last year. And he also said, quote, the standards didn't change, but we kind of changed a little bit. Because of COVID, we made excuses for things, and that's not how we run our program. And Sean, we mentioned this last year, Penn State did a great job keeping all of these guys healthy in a college football season for 2020, where locker rooms struggled with that. Um, but reflected on the field 0-5 start and everything else we've talked about was there was an issue behind the scenes and how this team prepared and, and what they were doing to get ready on game on game days um, ultimately seemed to come together for them well down the stretch and I think as time moves forward and as we get more separation from the fall of 2020 and from 0-5 we'll start to hear more about what exactly went down but I think hearing that from Clifford a guy who's been around the program last year was his fourth year his second year as a starter he had been the young player watching a Trace McSorley, watching a Saquon Barkley, um, those kind of players be leaders in the locker room. So for him to note that there's a slip in the culture, 
He saw what it looked like before. He got here right after that 2016 Big Ten title run, and he saw what it looked like coming out of 2020. And he said they came out of last year, the leadership council, talked to the staff, and they made a decision that either they were too comfortable or things weren't trending in the right direction. They needed to be challenged. Uh, they got the hardest. I mean, we hear this time and time again, the hardest, the toughest offseason workout they got from start to finish from this Penn State staff. They've responded. They're 4-0. And like I said, I think the further they get from the pain and what that tasted like, the more we'll have moments where a guy like Sean Clifford is comfortable enough to say, hey, here's what happened last year. I think he even dropped a Franklinism, like you got to fight for your culture every day or whatever. Bingo. Um, so that's that's really something. There, there's a reasonable discussion to be had on reasons versus excuses, especially for last year. But when you allow those reasons to pile up, then then they become excuses. That's the problem. You get complacent with having reasons for every why everything went wrong. And instead of correcting them and getting where you needed to be correcting them, you kind of fell into it and maybe felt sorry for yourself, felt that that, that was okay. Um, so I think that's kind of where they were at midway, even more through that 2020 season. Remember Jahan Dotson's comments about what uh, about, about, about the locker room just not being together and not being there. Um, you know, being physically together this offseason makes a big difference. Being together with your coaches when you're putting in a new offense does make a difference. Um, and, it, and it gives you everybody the opportunity to, to sort of start pulling pulling the cart in the same direction, which, you know, last year it was all over the place. So I think they've done a nice job of recapturing that. And as we said, not a ton of attrition. Um, and when you've got guys, especially in this era of the transfer portal, you've got guys sticking around. That's that's a good sign of uh, that they're comfortable here and they can they feel that they can let the culture develop them into into the player that they can be. It seems like they really set the stage for themselves going into September of being in a good spot from a cultural standpoint. But you got to go on the road and beat Wisconsin in a close game. You got to come back and two weeks later beat Auburn and be able to close the door on them late when they got the football. Those two things, they, the, I mean, that can just launch you to a different stratosphere because you get tested, you face some adverse moments, guys step up. I mean, it, it becomes a whole different ball game where you're not leaning on offseason work anymore. You're leaning on what you just produced on the field against an opponent that you have a lot of respect for. And we're seeing week by week here, although they weren't necessarily thrilled with how they came out and performed against Villanova, a team that is finding an identity that is very much different than the one we encountered along the way last fall. Yeah, and I don't remember which take it was, but I said it a little bit earlier, uh, you know, there's reasons to doubt Penn State. There's reasons to doubt every team outside of Alabama. And you're working through them now in an impressive showing uh, against Indiana this weekend would certainly, I think, go a long way because even though they are two and two, that schedule's been tough and they've been hanging in, into some games and, and done some nice things. And obviously bring back a veteran quarterback in Michael Penix. So um, that's, uh, that's going to be something where if you look at uh, where Penn State can, I don't want to say right the ship, but keep that ship going in the right direction. Um, this is a big one this weekend. I, I don't want to talk too much about 2020 because Lord knows everybody wants to forget 2020. Um, we did a lot of talking about 2020 already, you and I. It's kind of the, I mean, Indiana week, it kind of brings that into uh, into focus with because that's the way it all started. Um, but let's talk about Saturday. Let's talk about Indiana. Uh, Michael Penix uh, has been there for a long time. Huge arm, huge, huge, huge arm. Um, but he hasn't been the quarterback that we've seen at times. Obviously got hurt last year. Really tough break. Like I said, I'm, I'm a Michael Penix fan, um, but it's uh, it's it's certainly not the same player. He hasn't been the same player. Now, Zach Osterman said uh, against Western Kentucky that that he did a nice job of settling into throws and looking more comfortable. And, of course, coming off an injury that he did, you can expect that 
you know, a month into the season or whatever. But I think Penn State can rattle him. I think they can they can knock him offline. He's got a bunch of interceptions this season. So you can get Arnold Ebicati, you can get some of those second level blitzers like Brandon Smith to the quarterback. You've got a really good shot of uh, of turning things in your direction, possibly quickly with some turnovers. Yeah, Penix this year in the, in the two losses for this team, which were against teams that are right there with Penn State in the top 10 right now in national rankings. Uh, Cincinnati, 17 of 40, three interceptions in that game. And then Iowa, a game that they trailed 31 to th- uh, 31 to 3 at halftime there pretty stunningly. He was 14 of 31, three interceptions. We heard from Zach Osterman of the Indy Star on our last episode, a, a long conversation about wondering – where Penix is, where Indiana is. And, and you know, he went so far as to say, depending on how Indiana comes out of this game, their ability to get into a bowl game of any kind could be in question. When you think about where they were last year, they were at the opposite end of, of what 2020 was for Penn State. Um, they started out on that on-beaten run, and Penix was the face of that. And, and I, I just went back this morning, Sean, and looked at some of his career stats, and I was – kind of stunned because it feels like he's been playing in the big 10 forever. And I think this is going to be the, the fourth, uh, the at least the third, no, the fourth consecutive matchup in which he's on the roster for Indiana and, and going to be involved in some way. Um, and, and he's got fewer than 30 career touchdown passes. He's just at 4,000 passing yards. And that kind of goes to show there's been so many moments where you're waiting for Penix to take that next step and saying, what could that mean for Indiana? And unfortunately for him, it's been cut off time and time again, and you do wonder what, how much of Michael Penix are you getting here? And it feels like a game where Indiana needs a Superman performance from him. Is he at the stage in his career right now from a health standpoint and, and from an ability standpoint to go out and deliver that kind of a performance on the road against this Penn State defense? I think there are some serious doubts on that. Yeah, nobody knows. And that's uh, the physical talent has never been questioned. We've seen a bunch of these guys that have come through college football that can throw it through a wall or, or do whatever he needs to do. Um, but you get some pressure on him and you make it, you make some things happen uh, with your pass rush. And all of a sudden you've got uh, you got a different quarterback out there. And that's what we've seen so far this year. That's what I mean, the blueprint with Iowa. And obviously it wasn't all on, you know, the, the, the defense, uh, the Indiana defense, those 31 points right off the bat. Um, but it's uh, it's one of those things where this could be a snowball game. This could be a, a game where Penn State gets a turnover or two and, and cashes in and actually gets seven instead of three or however it, you want to go. You can, I think the matchups are good enough that you can feel pretty confident going into this weekend. So it'll be interesting. I'll also be interesting to see who will be able to sack Michael Penix or any Indiana quarterback since Chaka Tony is now with the uh, Washington football team. That's kind of oh been his gosh. haven over yeah. the last couple of years. So somebody else has got to step up. I think AK can have a big game this week. Yeah, that, that's who I'm circling. It feels like it feels like that moment for him. And, and I think Jesse Lucchetta, too, and, and Brent Pry talked about this on Thursday morning. Uh, they've got to win more one-on-one matchups here on the perimeter. Uh, they want to do everything they can. Or they want to be able to do defensively. Uh, I think they want to see that sack numbers go up, and, and who doesn't? But last year, the story for that Indiana game, it was excruciating. There's a lot of stories for that game, but they were so close on Penix at so many moments that you feel like it would have sealed the game. They just couldn't quite get there. I I do wonder in this circumstance with the home crowd also, I think really being a factor. I know Zach said, hey, Indiana's played big road, big 10 road games. I get that they have, but I do think that's still going to to contribute to what this defense wants to be able to do. Uh, Penix to me is because of how things have gone in his career and because of how things have gone in some big spotlight games this year. If there is a snowball effect, it's going to start with him. I think if yeah. they can get after him, rattle him early. I know he bounced back in a big way late in the game last year. This ain't last year. 
I think that there is a very dire situation for Indiana if it's ugly early and, and him getting off, uh, you know, picking himself off the mat uh, and dusting himself off and, and, and having an answer and a response for Penn State. I think that's unlikely. Yeah, and no WAP failure anymore for Indiana, who was a really good player for them. Of course, uh, Fry Fogel, I think, Big Ten receiver of the year last year, I believe, uh, it was excellent. But you're putting a lot more pressure on him now. Peyton Hendershot's going to get his share of targets. You have to keep him in check. Um, but you really, you look at the matchups, the skill players versus the the back seven, and I think Penn State uh, on the flip side, Penn State's offense. That's, this is the this is the matchup that I like the best. Is Penn State against that secondary, which is uh, you have it written down here, exploitable. Um, they're also banged up a little bit. Uh, Jalen Williams is in concussion protocol. Not sure if he's going to play or not. Um, but you have the opportunity to hit some big plays with those receivers who seem to have been clicking so far this season. So you can hit some of those deep balls and can go a long way. So that's what I'm looking at when I when I look at this game and and make my prediction probably a little bit bigger than the spread would indicate. Um, I, I like the matchup, especially with with how Penn State's passing game has been playing. You got to find a, a way to limit the impact of, of Micah McFadden. Um, you know, fantastic linebacker for Indiana, and, and we heard about the impact of his ejection uh, in, in their latest loss. But I, I think you just speaking with players and speaking with the Penn State coaches, that's the the first Penn State player that, or the first Indiana guy they all seem to mention is McFadden. And you can see why when you watch an Indiana uh, defensive uh, play this year. But I think from the secondary standpoint, exploitable is the word I wrote down there. I could have read down twice. And with Jalen Williams, uh, potentially not on the field with that concussion protocol situation, that's another man down. Um, I, I do not like how this bodes for Indiana at all. And I think we're going to see it early. Sean Clifford is going to take some shots. And, and the nice thing is here, I can't really tell you which wide receiver it's going to be, but I think they have three guys at wide receiver who can get loose, can get deep and come up with 60 plus yard kind of touchdown early in this game. I, I like them to fire a warning shot early uh, through the pass attack because I do think Indiana needs to be tested back there. I think up front, uh, there are some things that I like about what the Hoosiers do. Um, and, and we're going to need to see Penn State establish some run game here. But I still think this is one where you kind of pick up where you left off against Villanova, test some things out early, probe a little bit with Sean Clifford, and I think it's going to pay off for them, to be honest. And I think it's going to put Michael Penix and that, that Indiana offense in a tough spot. Yeah. Indiana's had some success in the transfer market. They've got a couple of guys that are playing a lot of snaps for them. Um, so you got to be, you, you got to account for those guys. But uh, I love Tom Allen defenses. I love the way that he coaches. Um, but I, I don't see this one being as deep and as, as talented as the one they had last year. So we will see what happens with that. Like I said, if you can exploit them and get them playing on their heels, this is a team that you can that you should be able to uh, to put some points up on. So we'll see how Penn State Penn State's offense handles that on Saturday night and what should be a, another really good atmosphere. And then in terms of just you know, explosive players, guys who can who can do big things with the football, uh, Penn State's in a spot where throughout the season now they should have a pretty significant advantage when you look offense versus offense, um, their offense against whoever they're playing. Uh, here I think that, that's another thing that pops up to me. Without DJ Matthews on the field, who was doing some really nice things for them, the Florida State transfer, a big-time prospect uh, several years ago, as a kick, as a special team returner, as a receiver, you know he's somebody that I think you certainly had to account for. I have a lot more questions as you work your way down that depth chart for Indiana going up against this secondary. I mean, these Penn State cornerbacks, we haven't talked about them much, but and there's just a reason we they they have just done their jobs time and time again. Um, Fry Fogel, you, you have to, he's the one that you got to say, can't let him beat, beat us. And, and Hendershot too. Uh, Hendershot's a spot where we heard from Brent Pry today and, and Curtis Jacobs really, you know, uh, 
I want to see Curtis Jacobs against Hendershot without going to, I don't really need to bring Brian to this. I think I'd like to see you know, Curtis Jacobs uh, challenging. Uh, and I, this is a game where I'd love to see Curtis Jacobs take another step in his career, because to me, if there's another player that we're looking toward, you've gotten more than you thought with Jesse Luketa. You've gotten more than you thought with Arnold Ebicady, I think realistically coming in from Temple. When I'm looking for the next guy who can be a tipping point for this defense, it's Curtis Jacobs. And uh, when I look at this matchup, uh, I think there's a lot of ways in which, whether it's getting after the quarterback or, as I just alluded to, helping in, in, in pass coverage, because if he can step up and perform well, I just don't see there being a lot of options uh, for Penix to exploit downfield the way this Nittany Lions defense has been playing. McFadden's the impact player on that Indiana defense. Penn State's outside linebacker is going to be key, especially for a running game. With It's more shake and bake. It's more cutback oriented than it was with Stevie Scott last year. So Brandon Smith and, and Curtis Jacobs, both very important. You mentioned the Penn State secondary. We haven't talked a lot about them. They've been so good. There's been really no need to talk about them. You, you know, you'd like to, to finish a few more plays and, and things here and there, um, but they've been tremendous. They've been Big Ten championship level uh, as a secondary. So the, the less we can talk about them, hopefully the better it is for everybody. All right, Sean, with all that said, and we had Zach on to talk about a half hour on these Indiana Hoosiers earlier in the week. I think you and I are ready to make our predictions, and I'm with you on the margin of victory here. I'll let you give your score, but I've got 34-17 to 17 Penn State taking this one, so certainly more than the experts anticipate, I guess, when you look at what Vegas envisions for this matchup. Um, to me, I, I do think that Penn State's going to get after Michael Penix early, and I think that will be uh, a, a kind of the pendulum swing that puts this one in Penn State's favor, and I don't see Indiana having the firepower right now to be able to push that pendulum back, uh, and, 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 and I, particularly on the road here. I agree with you, and I don't see your prediction until you send the rundown That's over right. right before we record, so that 17-point margin is pretty interesting. I have Penn State scoring 38 points. 38-21, as I mentioned, I like the matchups, especially outside Penn State's receivers. Should be able to, to shake loose and get some big gains and some potentially even some big touchdown plays. Um, Sean Clifford plays like he played in the last night game. He's going to have a lot of success. I'm going to say three turnovers uh, off of Michael Penix for the Penn State defense uh, in this one. Um, wow. and, and yeah, I'm going to say three turnovers and, and, you know, put me down for another long touchdown for Keandre Lambert-Smith. Uh, I like to throw a dart at the board uh, every week, and, and that's going to be mine for this game, Sean. Um, we got one more thing to hit real quick before we get out of here. Recruiting outlook, We got, uh, the commitment of Amari Evans is on the schedule. Uh, what should people be aware of and following along, of course, on lines247.com over these next 72 hours? Well, we've left we've left our producer Lance Glenn with quite a hack job here. He's got to cut up a bunch of stuff and edit it. So I'm not <laughs> sure when this episode will be out, but hopefully by that time, I put in a crystal ball pick for Penn State for Amari Evans. I like where they stand going into this weekend. Again, this is a guy that they've had on the radar for a long time. Worked him out, ran those four threes for them, and really turned some heads that day. I mean, no no reason to offer another receiver at the time they did, but he showed enough that to, to get in there. So. Um, it's a it's a long term projection. It's evaluation for a kid that plays high school quarterback, um, but he's uh, he's a fast one. And if you like, I said, if you're gonna miss, miss fast. We're gonna have all of that coverage on lines247.com. A bunch of visitors, which Sean has the list up on the site right now. I encourage you to check that out. We'll be back with you after the game on Saturday. Whenever this one goes final, we'll talk to players and coaches, and we'll be back in our respective house studios to to bring all that in. Um, unless I'm at the hospital with my newborn child. I don't know at this point. You don't know at this point. Uh, so stay tuned with us here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. On behalf of Sean Fist, thanks to producer Lance Glenn, I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you real soon, and you can find us on YouTube at Lions 24-7.
It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.